Welcome to the Shaping Champions podcast, a platform for discussion and exploration into what it takes to be a champion in life. We speak to athletes, entertainers, business people, and everyone in between about their journey and experiences, discovering the key ingredients needed to become successful at whatever it is you do. Please do subscribe to us at wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Shaping Champions Podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Shaping Champions Podcast, where we talk to professionals across various fields and discuss what it takes to shape present and future champions. My name is Jimmy Davis, and I'm joined by my esteemed co-host, Michelle St. Patrick Hewitt. How you doing, Mash? I'm very good, Jimmy, and looking very, very forward to the debut show, Jimmy. Looking forward to chopping it up and uh, really kind of getting into the the nitty gritty of what it means to to shape champions. But but, Jimmy, why don't you tell our audience who our first guest is and what today's show is all about? Absolutely. So yes, you are right. This is our debut episode. Very excited. And our debut guest is a leader in her field, is currently head of player care at Swansea City Football Club, has previously worked for Nottingham Forest Football Club as player care lead, and is also a consultant for Beyond the White Line. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show, Abby Carrington. Welcome, Abby. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Mash, Jimmy, it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm very honoured for the first episode. I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited. So yeah, thank you for having me. You are so welcome. We're absolutely delighted that you've joined us and thank you for taking the time out to do this. We really appreciate it. So let's get straight into it then. I introduced you there, Abby, um, as Head of Player Care at Swansea City. So could you just give ourselves and the audience a little insight into what is player care? That's the golden question. So player care and in terms of how we do it is we look after the player and the person. So it's very holistic. I kind of don't like using the word holistic anymore. I think it's a little bit overused, but it's essentially wrapping around the player and the person in every aspect. So anything that can affect their well-being, whether that's on the pitch or off the pitch, we're there to kind of work as a as a lead, but also as part of a multidisciplinary team to make sure that that player is functioning optimally, both on and off the field, and is is essentially being helped to be the best person that they can be. Okay, amazing. Um, that was like an elevator uh, pitch so, of player care. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Very <laughs> succinct, very concise. I like it, man. <laughs> and okay, so. I guess, I mean, the, the, the burning question for me, I, I have a great interest in, in this area, in, in fact, and my burning question is, is it being taken seriously as like a fundamental cog in the process of shaping champions in the world of football? I think we're definitely getting there. I won't say it's perfect. I think there's still a lot of minds that need, I don't necessarily want to, want to say changing because I don't think people are, necessarily really strict against wanting to buy into player care but it's just changing attitudes and beliefs that are obviously hard written into an environment like football which is obviously it's very hyper masculine it's got a very you know competitive culture that breeds behaviors where previously 
we don't ask for help. Players are expected to, you know, just get on with things and things like that. So I think we're moving in the right direction. I think there's still a hell of a lot of a way to go. But I will say that the clubs that I've worked with have been very forward thinking in, in what they've done and, and what we've done and worked together in terms of moving player care forward. So, and from speaking to other professionals, I think a lot of clubs are, you know, buying into this and, and giving it the time and the resource that it deserves. But I don't think I could say that as a, as a generalised statement for probably all clubs. Okay, so you mentioned that things are moving forward there. I mean, what is the kind of progress that you've seen so far since you've been involved in this area? I think when I look back to the landscape when I started in 2019, so my obviously, as, as you alluded to at the beginning, was I started at Forest and it was a brand new role. And there was no guidance, there was no support. I remember my first day literally getting an audit pack which is basically what you get assessed on, the academy gets assessed on. And it just had a section that said player care and and they just and I was like, okay, what's this? What does that mean? And they were like, you just crack on and, and basically create a player care programme, which was extremely difficult in, in the beginning because, you know, I remember doing Google searches, what is player care? And nothing was coming up. And I was thinking, I've really got to start from the melting pot here because there is nothing available out there to help me with this. Even there wasn't anybody to get in touch with either, really, because everything previous to actual player care was player liaison. So it was a totally different role in terms of day-to-day and what that looked like. So it was very difficult at the beginning, and there was a lot of lack. That it, that there was nothing available. And I will say that now that's that's massively changed. Changed. It's It's almost become a hot topic now I would say a lot of people there's a lot of articles out there we've seen a lot around you know release players a lot of articles in the media around aftercare support and things like that so I think that's been a big change just the general sort of awareness of player care and then for me a big noticeable difference is definitely the funding that's been put forward by the Premier League now so last it was it last year or the year before i think two i think it was last year 2022 just before the last season probably about this time last year they brought in funding for player care representatives practitioners in all clubs from cat one to three so they're all funded so each club gets a, a designated amount of money to provide player care support in the, in those academies. And I think that's a massive leap forward because before that, a lot of clubs' arguments for not having player care was we don't have the funding and we don't have the resource to, to offer anything in regards to player care. So that went from being around in my first year, 2019, I knew probably three other player care practitioners. And then it, it's it's extensive now. It's massive. And, and Jimmy, you'll know there's a lot more jobs that are popping up now um, because of, I would imagine, due to the funding and, and people being it and clubs being able to actually afford to have someone in place to offer this now. Abby, of course, this is like super fascinating. And um, I just want to uh, pick up on something you said, because as you were talking, I, I love to write notes when the guest is on <laughs> <laughs> it. <laughs> keep track of the points that they're making. But I had written down, and you literally mentioned it as I was writing it down, academy football, right? Yeah. And I'm just intrigued about the kind of, is it one size fits all? So I think there's been, a you said it as well, there's been a lot 
there's been a lot of focus, I'd say, in the last two years on after player care. So when somebody's released from a football academy at the age of 18, what has the club done? Um, what what was the club doing and what has the club done to ensure that that player doesn't feel like their world has come to an end and so on and so forth? So I think on one level, you'll have people who will look at it as player care and seeing what's been in the media about academy football, but then there'll be others who'll be like player care at the first team level. And this is also before I talk about women's football, where it may or may not actually be anything that's really touched on yet at this point in time. So just across the levels of football, so to speak, where uh, where is it really developed versus where is it still needing to develop, so to speak? Definitely just to, to touch on that obviously I'm a big advocate for the women's game I, I played in the women's game when it was in its infancy you know a long time ago now over 10 years ago but definitely needs I think the issue with the women's game is what what we're always coming back to in terms of their exposure and things it is is resource and funding as again I'll, I'll allude to Jimmy will probably know there are player care jobs now coming up for the women's game but I'll be honest it's even something that I've always said I would love to go back into the women's game but I'll be honest Mash like the salaries that are being offered are, are nowhere near what I'm earning now and, and even that what I'm earning now is not a significant amount of money but I couldn't possibly take a pay cut to go and do the same role in the women's game even though I would love to because it's, it's just not enough money. So there's definitely not enough funding in the women's game. You, you, you kind of touched on there, Mash, as well, the difference between the first team and, and the academy level. What I will say is what we've tried to do at Swansea or what we have done and, and what we wrote as our strategy last year when I came in to, to deliver a new season of player care was we've tried to align the first team player care right down to as far as, as pre-academy. So what you used to find before in the past sort of five, 10 years has been that player liaison role, which is a very valuable role. It has, you know, it, it serves its its purpose and it's there for a reason. And it's very, it's very good at what it's there for, but it's not quite what we would use the term player care for, although it is sometimes branded as that. And this is where there needs to be more research done and, and probably more so by the the Premier League and the EFL to define what actually is the difference. So, you, you know, a lot of people get confused. So I've been reading do job descriptions where it's come up, you know, player care at um, Liverpool or player care at Everton, wh where else? And I'm thinking, oh, I'll have a look at that, you know, just as what they are expecting, what kind of person are they looking for? What's the qualifications they need? And it varies so differently from each role. And that's really difficult for those that are applying for jobs because I get a lot of questions from people that will pop up on LinkedIn or just get in touch and say, Abs, you know, what would you recommend for me to do in terms of CPD? And I'm kind of like, you know, what job, first of all, are you wanting to do player liaison or do you want to do what we would now class as player care? So a little bit more holistic and less concierge service and, and, and maybe an admin role. Um, again, nothing wrong with 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 the player liaison role but we just need to be very careful what we're defining as what because it is making things really confusing it's also confusing for players because i've had players that have gone from academy to first team and gone abs i i don't get what you used to do for me so is that like why don't i have player care at first team well you do it just looks a bit different or i've had players that go to other clubs 
and as you alluded to mash in, in your question even though i'm divulging a little bit here is it looks different so what what we do at, at swansea and what we did at forest probably looks different even though i'm the same person delivering and what looks different from us to maybe you know you go to a league two club at cat three or cat four it's going to look entirely different and this is where my argument comes in of it probably does need to be a little bit more standardized sorry that was a lot of waffle <laughs> no it was it was like really useful and interesting waffle so um yeah man please more more of that waffle but i mean what what i wanted to pick up something something you said there abby um that's yeah i'm, I'm really sort of intrigued that you, that you said it you mentioned that word concierge because all the kind of research and delving into particularly player liaison that I've done, I've, I've gotten the sense that there's this kind of, I would frame it as a concierge contagion where you're almost sort of um, removing the things from players. You know, you're sort of, you're there at their every need, if you like, beck and call to a degree. Yeah. And you're kind of removing the things from them that got, them to where they are in the first place so all the sacrifice the hard work the remaining humble all of that stuff like when someone's there to do everything for you you know i get the feeling that you perhaps lose some of those things i just wondered what your take on that was and if that rings any bells with you yeah i'll be honest jimmy it's been it's been a journey in terms of what i've thought between the difference between player care and player liaison i used to I never oppose player liaison because, like I said to you, I genuinely do believe that there is value in it. And I think just as, you know, any of us would pay an accountant or any of us would pay someone to wash the car or, you know, when we could do it ourselves, but we pay someone because of time and, and things like that. I understand that. And I understand that players earn a significant amount of money where they can pretty much outsource anything in their life. I mean, practically the only thing that they can't get someone to do for them is, like, eat. <laughs> um so, and, and there definitely is value in it. You know, there's times where I think for me, player liaison plays a huge role in family. So that player obviously can't be there at times where they've got a jam-packed training schedule. They're traveling away. They're never at home. Their family needs support with relocating. They need support with schools, things like that. And I absolutely see a value in that. So, I do think there's value in player liaison, and I think it's absolutely something that should be had at, at first team level. I just think that, like you said there, Jimmy, we have to be very careful because for me, I think we take empowerment out of things when we are doing everything for someone. So for me, it's okay, the things like that, it's time, I'm not expecting someone to, you know, go and view every single flat or go and see every single school because I think there's value in somebody else doing that for you but things like you know their own personal development and and still looking at other academic pursuits or teaching them basic things that they're going to need like how do you manage your money and things like that so you can pay a financial advisor but you can also get screwed over by financial advisors so it's good to also have a little bit of knowledge yourself that you've been taught and, and and that's where I think the real truth of player care lies because it's we're giving these athletes the skills and we're empowering them to actually do things for themselves like you said 
we also need to be mindful of the fact that elite players, even at the highest level, and I'm talking absolute maximum here, from starting as a professional at 18 when they can first sign a professional contract to retirement, is is less than 20 years. So it's all right that you could pay someone to do everything for you up until you're 35, but then what about after that? You're still going to need to manage your own money. You're still going to need to know how to, you know, change a mortgage or set up a bank account or look at your savings. You're still going to need to know how to do your car tax and pay your insurance, no matter how much money you earn, because there is going to come a point where you don't have that resource anymore. That's inevitable. So I think there's value in both. And I think both positions, especially at first team level, are needed. I just think we need to be very mindful of the distinction between the two. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear your take on all of that, Abby. Um, and and just sort of finally rounding up this little section around the kind of introduction to player care, I'm just interested to to, to know if, if you've learned anything from other disciplines and sports that you feel um, has been really useful and that you've integrated into the football world in terms of player care and um, helping them on that journey yeah I think I think a big influence for me especially as I said starting out and not having anything was definitely looking into other sports so there might not have been anything specifically called player care but where were the parallels with other sports so you had things like lifestyle advisors and you've got tasks who have been running lifestyle practitioners for years had lifestyle practitioners for years working with things like you know, your elite athletes in terms of Olympic sports, et cetera, and things like that, more more traditional, um, you know, gymnastics, things like that. So I, I used a lot of resources from that. So researching into different sports, what did they do? You had like player development managers at, in, in rugby. You had, I can't remember what the other one was called in cricket, something very similar to like player development lead and things like that, which was, what I would call player care, just not in football. It was just in a different sport. So I lent on a lot of resource from different sports. I also reached out to a lot of people in different sports and different areas. And and they they I was saying, you know, listen, I don't really know what this is. You know, can you just tell me what your programs look like and what are you doing for players, etc., and things like that. And a lot of my original ideas were born out of those conversations which were incredibly helpful at the time because we didn't I didn't necessarily take them as a carbon copy but I definitely took a little bit from there a little bit from there and said okay that'll probably work for us we can fit that it's very similar and then other things I was like that won't work but how could we create a version of that to be adaptable to our sport and our program so yeah, I, as as again, as I said, I just describe it as, as as that melting pot in the beginning of just literally taking everything, stirring it up, and going right. What have, what have we got here? Abby, I'm going to approach this from the kind of position of let's let, <clears throat> let's assume, and I am just uh, your average um, your average person on the street, right? And they're listening to this. They listen to this episode. And they're like, okay, this is this is fascinating. This is interesting. But then the, the I think the the question, the obvious question they would ask next would be, so what does it look like, right? Um, and when I say what it looks like, whether you want to take that as day-to-day, week-to-week, and this is quite a long deconstruction I'm about to give you here, so <laughs> you might want to get back to the pen. Get some notes, hold on. <laughs> what does it look like, like day-to-day, week-to-week? But then this as well. 
where do you fit in the cog for shaping almost like an elite mindset for that particular player? Um, and for the for argument's sake, let's say first team squad player, whether they're integral or whether they're in the squad, they're just in the first team, in and around the first team. Where do you fit in the cog of all the other things that are going around, going on, sorry, for that particular player? So let me just shout out some random things. Strength and conditioning, um, um, tactics, analysis, all of that stuff, right? Just I don't know why I said that, but all of that stuff <laughs> that goes on in the course of a week. What how do you define, I guess, your role in the kind of day-to-day, week-to-week, month-by-month? Um, how do you slot in in shaping that player's character and mindset um, to get the best out of themselves? I know that's long, Abby, so <laughs> I'm picking however best, you Matt. want. Bloody hell, about seven <laughs> questions in one. <laughs> I think I've got a good analogy for here. How I normally describe what player care is, is I always describe it as like an invisible cloak. So you don't necessarily always see what we're doing, but we're everywhere. We're around the whole thing. So you touched on there about liaising with all the different departments. And the players probably don't realise to the extent that I know everything that's going on for them because I sit in every meeting. I go to even meetings that aren't even, people wouldn't think relevant. Like you said, I sit in the medical meetings. I sit in ops meetings. I know what's going on for everyone all the time. So it's almost like a, it's a bit of a glue. It ties everything together and it brings it together and, and we kind of sit in between all those areas and, and we're just very cohesive. So how that looks day to day is, as I said, I, I'm very much a big person on, I don't really like the word, the word culture, especially not when it comes to sport because it's just a buzzword, but I am very culture-driven in the sense of what I do player care-wise is obviously we have a strategy and we've got a long-term plan and we have a bigger picture. But for me, the day-to-day stuff's the most important. So those interactions that I have with the players on a day-to-day are fundamentally where we shape them. And that doesn't just go for me, that goes for everybody. And, I, and, and I'm very conscious when we work with staff and, and we do CPD and, and we create an awareness of what we're doing as player care, that they know that they feed into that. So their language, how they interact with players, do they actually ask them anything about anything else in their life other than football? No, I don't. Okay, well, you need to start doing that. And that's kind of where from a player care perspective, there's all the hands-on day-to-day stuff. But for me, Honestly, the most important thing is how you interact on a daily basis and you constantly, it's almost like a nudging technique. So how you speak to them, how they interact, are you enforcing good behaviours and pulling up bad behaviours? So a lot of them, again, won't realise that we'll see things and I'm the eyes and ears of the place. So I get to know everything. I get to know everything that they've done, everything they've said. And, you know, if I catch them doing something and, and I'll just give a little nudge of, you know, is that is that where, you know, standards needs to be? Or are we slipping there a little bit? Or, you know, or there's been times where I've heard things and I've directly needed to pull someone straight out of a situation and say that is absolutely categorically not acceptable. Um, and, and I feel quite comfortable doing that because it's not just about my player care culture for the club. It's about the culture of the club in general. Um, and, and, and we're trying to build not only exceptional athletes, but we want to, 
we want whoever comes through our academy to go on and be successful in whatever they do in life and we want to we want to create you know great people essentially because 99.9 percent of them aren't going to be footballers but that's just a sad sad reality of the cult the the nature of the job that we work in so i want people to come up to me in tesco and say oh abby i remember so and so johnny boggs he went to your academy he works for me now you know wherever and and, and he, he's fantastic he's a great person those are the kind of things where I sort of measure my success on that and not necessarily of of the ones that get through although I obviously do you know love celebrating those wins as well but it's really important for me that it, it's that blanket of it's across everyone and it's across everywhere at all times. It's really interesting Abby to hear you say about pulling players up around certain things, standards and that. And I'm just interested, does that apply to first team players as well? And if it does, how receptive are they to that and to your kind of authority, I guess? Yeah, I'll be honest. To be, People ask me this a lot. The first question I usually get when I say, you know, or explain what my job is, people say, oh, what, what they like? What, you know, first team, are they, are they all like what you think they're going to be like? And to be honest, they're really not. There's not a great deal that needs pulling up. Um, what I will say is, yeah, I think they are pretty susceptible to it and accept it because it, it's part of the environment. It's when we've created that environment where you're a part of it, they almost kind of know themselves when they're doing something that's not right. And they'll, they'll, they'll probably more often than not, 99% of the time, they'll say to me, yeah, you know, that, well, that weren't good enough, Abby, or, you know, yeah, I probably need to probably need to pull my socks up there a bit. Do you know what I mean? So it's sometimes, there's not a lack of awareness for the most part. Sometimes they know exactly what they're doing. And sometimes, you know, there's little things where you let them off. But for the most part, no, I definitely 100% if I see things that I don't agree with that. And I mean, again, I'm not saying that every person needs to put themselves in positions as player care to, you know, I don't want anyone to go flying into confrontations with anyone. But I'm very... And I think it makes me better at my job that I'm very clear and I'm very strict on my values and my morals and I won't do a job where those are conflicted. And if I see, you know, players that are doing things that conflict with not necessarily my personal values, because obviously they differ a little bit, but to the club's values and the standards that we've set, then, yeah, I absolutely do feel comfortable enough to, to put my hand up and say, I don't I don't think that's acceptable. I'm kind of say, saying this as if it happens all the time. I promise you it doesn't, but it's just occasional things every now and again. You know, like stupid things like, guys, like, have you look at look at your table after you've left it at dinner, dinner time? Do you think that that's acceptable to clean up? Like, leave there. Like, go and get a cloth and clean it up. You know, guys, have you, you keep using the plastic cups, but why can't you just reuse one? Like you're just having a sip and throwing it away and then five minutes later you're coming back and you're taking another cup. Go and get a water bottle and just come and fill it up. Like just tiny little things where it's it's just habits of is that elite? That's kind of the question I come back to, you know, are those, are those elite habits? Yeah, yeah, totally. And what it reminds me of is reading the that book Legacy when they yeah. talk about how the, the All Blacks conduct themselves and it's like, nobody looks after the all blacks the all blacks look after themselves you know what i mean and it's all about the the senior leaders of the team sweeping the sheds and all that sort of stuff and i just wonder 
I mean, this is probably maybe a, a different conversation for a different ep- episode, but that kind of mentality between the different sports as well, you know, it would be interesting to to get like a, a take on that. But um, but yeah, anyway, I think back over to Mash. I think you had a question, didn't you, Mash? Yeah, it was interesting because as as Abby said, elite habits. The first thing, the the, the kind of uh, klaxon that went on in my head was um, when Justin Langer, I think it was, was it a Nash's series, twenty nineteen? He used the phrase elite honesty. And it was about um, the Australian squad coming to, it was like some kind of, I think he used it as a kind of, we have to go back to some kind of reckoning about how we conduct ourselves. And he got trashed for it, actually. If I remember rightly, the newspapers were like, they almost treated it like what an arrogance kind of phrase to use and so on and so forth. So as you two were talking, I was like, oh yeah, elite. Uh, so I'll go back and look at that as a, just as an aside, but what's in, what, what, what I'm finding interesting here now, Abby, is, now you're, I think you said, what, four years deep into it? Yeah. Kind of, or certainly the kind of birth yeah. of player care. Yeah, specifically, yeah. Yeah, as a concept. When you, when you go to other clubs where it's pro- pro- probably, I should say, not embedded or maybe just not there, what is the difference that you think it makes? Okay, no, no, that's, that's, again, it sounds like a really kind of general question, but the reason why I say it right, okay, so, and I'm, I'm thinking about the kind, obviously the notion of shaping champions and um, kind of elite performance in a sense, right, and as a school teacher in my day job, I always talk to kids about, and to staff, teaching staff, if I'm doing CPD, I talk about like the 1% marginal gains, so like the, the, the things that aren't obviously no, they're not sh- you can't show off about them but they make that one percent impact um yeah. so if it's like a kid who um is used to come in school late i don't know five minutes ten minutes every single day a one percent marginal gain is just getting them in on on time and it's not sure sh- you can't show off about it but it makes a marginal gain on that particular kid's life so i don't know if that's the right way of looking at it but what is the kind of difference you fundamentally think it makes i think being in those environments where you can tell there's either a lack of player care or a lack of buy-in to player care it's just the general feel of the place they, they can be I'm not gonna you know I, I can't you know I'm not gonna name any any places but I've been to places where you go there or you've been around the staff in those environments or the players and I've heard or seen things happen and gone that would never happen in in my environment because number one the players and staff wouldn't even think to do or say something like that and secondly if if anyone did then somebody else in that environment would have pulled them straight up on it so you can definitely i think you definitely feel a difference in those environments they seem a bit hostile you see how coaches or staff are speaking to players and I'm thinking no that's not conducive with with player care at all so there's definitely a difference in behavior and there's a difference in the general feel for the place can also just watch the behavior of the players and just how they conduct themselves around the place when even when they're not being seen because again for for clubs that have got a good environment and a, and a positive culture and, and that's sort of encompassing with all encompassing with player care 
there's just an there's just a nice feel. It's lighthearted. Players will ask you how you're doing. They're not afraid to approach you. They, you know, there's a, a feeling of everyone in the environment's friendly and they want to speak to you. I've been to environments on away days where people quite literally just pretend that you don't exist. Um, and for me, I know that's not player care specifically, and you can't say, oh, well, that's because they haven't got player care. But those are the places where you go to and you think, God, I wouldn't want to try and embed a positive player care culture in here because I can imagine how difficult that will be. It's like you almost knew what I was going to ask you next then. Because um, <laughs> I, was, I was going to say, is this a, um, does the culture of player care, where's it got to start from? The manager, yourself and trying to, or somebody like yourself trying to embed it within the club? Or does it have to come from the very top CEO, chairman, whatever it might be? Because I don't see how you can... Otherwise, it, it you can you can run the risk of it being something like a bolt-on, which has an effect here and there, but doesn't it have to permeate through the culture of the, the whole ecosystem um, to be truly effective? Yeah, I would say yeah, you just kind of answered the question yourself there, Matt. To be truly effective, you have to have a top-down approach, and, and everyone has to buy into that at every level of, of wherever they're at. I mean, I, I'm quite conscious of even, you know, Everyone to me in our environment is valuable, and and I and I truly mean that. From people that you know clean the stadium to people that come in and and you know cook for the lads, the people that work on reception, player care, coaches, management, everyone from the CEO down plays a part in in creating success in our environment. So I'm very conscious that. From top down, everyone knows what we're doing. It's very, it's very clear. We've we've pitched this. I mean, I'm quite fortunate, at Swansea, that they bought in from from top down, and that was very much our pitch when when myself and, and a colleague came in. That if you're not doing it from here, we're not interested in coming on board because we want to do it properly, systematically from from top to bottom. So, to answer the question, yes, to be the most effective and and to create a, a not a perfect but a, a very healthy player care environment it has to come from the top down and it has to have everyone's back in and you get that back in from building relationships and also making sure everyone is aware of what player care is so I need everyone in that environment to know who my player care team is and I need them to feel comfortable enough to come to us if they want to report anything or just want to tell us anything to keep us in the loop. If you don't build relationships in player care, it fails. It's fundamental to be able to work with everyone from, as I said, the people that come in and, and clean your kitchen to the people right at the top who sign off the money. So it's very important that we've, we've built up an awareness of player care. And a lot of that comes through staff CPD and our staff CPD is invited. The invite goes out to everyone. So everybody knows what we're doing. Now, I have worked previously where it wasn't that people didn't buy in from above, but we weren't systematically up there. And I'll be honest, trying to create impact from bottom upwards is very difficult and I would say to people in those environments because there will be people that are having that uphill battle and, and won't have that top-down approach that I'm now very fortunate to have is 
influence where you can and influence where it's most important. So if that for you can only be to the players that you work with, then so be it. Because the players essentially are the ones that need to, to benefit the most from player care. If it can be that you can influence middle management, but you can't go any higher, excellent. Just do what you can. Um, and I've been in those positions. So I appreciate that it's very difficult. And, and I now am very, obviously very grateful for the position that I am in now that we have got a full back in. But yeah, come in full circle. For it to be positive, to create a culture that's throughout, it has to be, it has to be top down. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Shaping Champions podcast. Thank you again for listening. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Shaping Champions Podcast. Please do subscribe to us at wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you'd like to discuss anything with us, make any suggestions or offer up any guests that you'd like us to interview, please do contact us on any of our social channels or email us on shapingchampions at outlook.com. Enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, really, really interesting stuff. And I think any kind of team, club, franchise uh, in any sport really that's successful, they um, they make everybody feel a part of the family, don't they, Abby? Like you were just saying, you know, everyone's important, everyone's crucial. And it reminds me of, I'm going to reference the All Blacks so much in, in these uh podcast episodes mash just because is that the latest is that the latest book you've read jimmy it's showing it's I've showing read... you need to get out a little bit more <laughs> it was it's not it's not the latest book i read but i did read it in the last 12 book. i re reread it in the last 12 months and i think that the thing the reason i come back to them though is because they are the most successful sporting dynasty in history so yeah. the lessons are there you can't deny them and one of their most famous coaches says the most successful environments in any industry or field are the ones that develop people. So I want to kind of shift the focus a little bit now, Abby, in, um, in, in the, the interview to like women, essentially. And do you feel that women are being developed within the world of male football? Um, and like, do you think there's enough representation currently and what do you think could perhaps be done in that area to improve it, if anything? Is that in regard to staff in the men's game, Jimmy, or, or just women in general? Um, I mean, I'd, I'd say in general, really, you know, yeah, women in general in the men's game. Mm, I mean, for instance, you know, one, one sort of caveat of that question would be how long do you think it's going to be before we see a female manager of a, of a male team? wish I had an answer for that. I don't know. I don't know. I think we're getting there. I think we've just seen, I can't remember the lady's name who's just been appointed at, at Brentford. Um, it'll come to me. But she's just become the 18s coach at Brentford, which is just a huge step forward. We've obviously got other um, representations. You've got um, Hannah Dingley at um, Forest Green Rovers, who's the academy manager. Um, we're seeing, I'm not going to say a lot because it's not a lot, but we're seeing more women on at senior board level and things like that at football clubs, which is which is definitely a step in the right direction. I don't think we're there yet, but what I will argue is 
and this is in no way make an excuse for lack of representation or diversity by the way because it, sh it is shocking if i'm being honest in in football but things are being done for us to get there but what we also have to take into consideration is it's the same with a lot of other jobs where stereotypically one gender will go for them so and that's not i don't mean to stereotype everybody but there are jobs that traditionally have always seen more women working it or men working it that's just the nature of it and i think there will always be more men that want to work in football i truly believe that for the for, for even for the next i hope that that's not always the case i hope that in 50 time 50 years time i'm meeting my words and going bloody hell you know we're a 50 50 split or women have taken over in in football but i, I don't see that happening and there's nothing wrong with that i just think that to throw sort of back at that is there also are a lot of women that just can't get into the game and that's where we need to see the improvement so we don't need to see a 50 50 split because it's just not realistic because there probably isn't that many women that want to work in football but the thing where we need to look at and, and divert resources is to those that actually do want to work in the game and can't get anywhere near it um so so I, when will we see a, a uh, you know a woman manager I, I i don't know i hope it's sooner rather than later but i think to have a guess would would just be stabbing in the dark because it would depend on a number of circumstances that are probably out of a lot of people's control sure yeah yeah, yeah. and i mean I, I watched that that recent webinar that you were part of abby um the running a successful elite academy the psn webinar and you know, i know what you're gonna say jimmy go on <laughs> Because if you don't say it, I'll say it. <laughs> go on, you say it. You say it. No, you say it. Go on. <laughs> well, it was a it was a glaring example, wasn't it? You know, there was there were ten people. It was people a very the, glaring example, and I'll be honest. Ten people on the panel. Yeah, ten people on the panel. I was the only I was the only woman mash to put it in perspective for you, but and I'll be honest, I've worked with PSN a lot since they came about, and and it, I've got nothing against them. I know that they they would have reached out to me but I thought I, I jumped on it right and I sat there obviously I didn't get a list of people that were going to be on it I just got told you know this is the time this is what we're talking about no problem I love doing things like this and I jump on and the first thing that comes into my brain is oh no I'm the tokenistic female <laughs> and I was like part of me was like well that's a win because at least you're on it and then the other part of me was like, I know so many people in so many positions that are women that could have, you could have had it easily with the job roles on there. You could have had a 50-50 split easily. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, and yeah, it did, it did make me chuckle, but I suppose, like you said, Abby, at least you were on there, you know, it wouldn't have been that long ago where we wouldn't have seen any women on there. Would it? Let's be yeah. honest. Um, but just um, just to bring it back as well to because uh, we, we mentioned that buzzword that everyone loves at the moment a few times so far, culture. Yeah. Um, I'm just interested to know what the what the culture is at, at Swansea, um, maybe a little bit more detail around it, sort of in terms of what you're creating when it comes to your approach to mental health and, and emotional well-being at the club. Like, yeah. what is the culture around that? honestly incredibly positive again 
sort of a systematic approach that really didn't have much to do with us coming in but something that I've seen is our HR are excellent for, for, for promotion of mental health and well-being we have a, a circulated email every Wednesday so we had one today it's called well-being Wednesday the email and it gives you like top tips and things and it occasionally they send out you know helplines or things or, or you might want to consider this they've put on things for staff such as yoga mornings we've done open water swimming they've got a run club so there's loads of things to promote well-being so in terms of from a club perspective they're very very good and I don't just mean for players because obviously that's more our responsibility but even from a from an employee and a staff point of view they're very very positive towards mental health we do a lot through the foundation for local mental health initiatives and things like that. So getting people in the community involved through the club so that they can then, you know, foster their own mental health and, and, and well-being in positive ways. So that's another way that the club get involved. And mental health is obviously huge for us. So again, it comes down to creating that environment where a big thing for me is our strategy when 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 I wrote it was I always talk about prevention over intervention now I say that knowing that there's always going to be times in 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 my career or anybody's career as a player care practitioner where you have to intervene where you can't have done anything to prevent it you know I can't help that I can't I can't prevent someone from losing a family member and I can't predict when that's going to happen. So there are times when I need to intervene there and we get them help for, for that specific event. But the prevention is so important. So things like your life skills, your coping mechanisms, your mindset, your overcoming obstacles are all things that we do throughout the year with the players that hopefully when they do face these issues, that actually they know how to deal with them themselves, or at least they know where to go to get the support if they need it. So we, we, we're much more, we much more focus on preventative measures rather than intervention. We deal with intervention when it's just absolutely necessary. So, and I think another thing to, to sort of bring that full circle is, again, it's about awareness all staff are involved in everything that gets sent out regarding mental health policies, changing legislation, changing in any of the, um, you know, the, the club-wide support or anything like that. We've also got, this was, this was part of our initiative this year, coming in as a new player care team, was we actually pay a contracted psychotherapist that we, refer, we can refer staff or players to, so there's no waiting list. That was a, a huge step forward for us because... I was sick of seeing players get put on waiting lists. I was sick of seeing staff, you know, really struggling with, you know, high pressure, high competitiveness and and just having really tough times and not having anywhere to go to. So we brought in that, well, we allocated the funding to that so that all I have to do is make a phone call and that player or staff member will be seen within the next couple of days, which is obviously vitally important. And, it, and it's probably the proudest thing to date that I am, you know, super happy about in my job because I think that's been game changing for us um, we know that mental health deteriorates when people don't get support and don't get access to those resources when they need them so that's been a been a huge step in you know step in the right direction for us so and then again staff training staff staff CPD they do things on well-being they do a lot on mental health 81% of our staff at Swansea the whole club are mental health first aid trained so it's huge. It's it's 
we want to get that to 100%. Obviously, every new staff member, we want to come in and get them through their their mental health courses and things like that. But I, I think that goes to show how important it is to us. You know, that's that's nearly, you know, it's, it's 80% of, 81% of us are not only aware of mental health issues, but could actively intervene if we saw someone struggling. Um, and I think that's incredible. I think first things first, yeah, that eighty-one percent stat is amazing. That's that 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 that's um ideally that's what every club should every club should be able to reel off a stat like that, um, and of course be aiming for higher and so on and so forth. But everything you said there about kind of emotional well-being and mental health naturally leads into uh the the segue to 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 expectations and managing them. But before you answer anything around that, I think football for me has always suffered from one, being a macho sport or kind of seen as being some kind of macho sport. Two, it's the national sport. Three, a lot of fans look at footballers as, well, you're doing something I'd play for for free. So yeah. they see, they almost, not everyone obviously, but they almost see footballers as being superhuman because every everyone who's into football grows up with some kind of footballer as their idol. You see them as almost like being infallible, right? Yeah. Our discourse around mental health, really and truly, and I speak as somebody who's been watching football for the best part of three decades, um, I feel like the discourse on it has only really, if we're being honest, has only really happened in the last five years or, or so. When, 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 talk, when I'm saying proper conversation, right? Yeah. Um, and that, and because I say that to say I still think we're in the infancy of fully understanding um how we approach it so we're now at a stage where (laughs) i've lost count of like the number of dads i speak to they're like my boy's just signed for let's just say swansea because that's where you are my boy's just signed for swansea and and i'm in my head i'm thinking yeah but your boy's only six like but but it's being announced as if they've signed for the first team and if our discourse is like that it's no surprise to me that by the time these boys then become academy lads at 15 16 17 18 whatever it might be managing expectation has to be uh, and this is what i'm handing over to you i don't know how you can manage that expectation when you've had a boy and also why am i saying boy like i should say girl as well um when you've had a youngster sign at such a young age and believe they're going to make it because the run-up now is so long to believe in you're going to make it so i guess abby how how do you in a from a player care perspective manage those expectations and how can you how difficult is it to keep someone on an even keel and then of course if they don't get to wherever they think they were going to get to how do you then manage that stage of it it's very difficult expectations is a, is a huge one it's a huge piece of work i'll be honest in it and it requires buying from everyone so probably the most part of where I've had discussions that have got, you know, I don't want to say heated because it's never negative. It's just a, it's more of a discussion of like, there's a lot of viewpoints around this. Whereas mine is always, I'll be honest at the beginning of the season, I am brutally honest in our inductions, probably to the point where some people go, you know, we're trying to get kids to sign here. You know, Mm. don't, don't say things like that, but you create your own monster if you don't set the expectations. So, mm. it, 
again i watch you know i watch the parents come in on the u9 inductions and you know they're all filled with you know joy there's happy faces you can tell they're absolutely buzzing and i burst the bubble pretty soon on in those presentations i even put the stat up there i'm like guys 0.012 percent in this room will make it i'm like that's not even one child mm. <laughs> like it's like half mm. of your kid so and i don't say that to be horrible and i don't say that to scare them it's about perspective and, and then what i go on to talk about is listen we're gonna do our absolute best to make your child a footballer that is one thing i can promise we will do everyone in this room will do everything in their power to create a footballer out of your son but what i will tell you is 99 percent of you won't become footballers but i'll tell you what else we'll do for your son we'll provide them with enriching experiences we'll provide them with life skills that they won't gain anywhere else we'll provide them with opportunities to do things that kids their age will never do We'll give them, you know, access to to coaching that no other child in the country can pay for. It's it's not on the table for people to even pay for it, but your child's going to get that. So I, I try and spin it in a in a positive way, but from a different angle. So when we can't, I can't make every child in here a footballer. It's 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 not going to happen. I wish I could, and I'd be very rich, but. It's just not going to happen. But what I will do is I will give you my word that I will try and create the best person. I will try and create, you know, the best person that your son can be become by being in this academy. And hopefully that sort of puts the fire out of when 10 minutes before I said to them, you know, your kid's never going to make it. Because I, I don't say that. There will be a child in there that will make it, you know, odds on from each age group. But the majority of them won't. So we have to make it really clear that they're not just sat there listening when the coaches give the presentation, but when everybody else comes in and, you know, particularly player care, psych, things like that, people are thinking, parents are sitting there thinking, well, you know what? They're going to do their absolute best to make him a footballer. But I'll tell you what, even if he doesn't, he's going to come away from here and he's going to be a bloody good person because this program's fantastic. And so that for me is is the ex setting those expectations in the beginning. It's all about honesty. Um, and it's all about reframing and making sure that they're listening to the things that are going to be the most important in 10 years time. And they're not only listening and grabbing onto the things that when coaches have put up a picture of, you know, um, Ben Cabango and going, oh, listen, this is one of our success stories. They're not just only thinking, well, my kid's going to be the next Ben. Um, they're thinking, well, even if my kid's not a Ben, I know that he's going to be better for, for having this experience. So I feel like I might have butchered the answers to the question a little bit, Mash, but for me, it is, if, if I had to just one word with expectations is, it is honesty. And I think you asked towards the end of that question about what then do you do when those expectations aren't met at the end of the, the journey? And it's easier when you've been honest. And that comes down to every process. So there's no child in our academy at any age from nines to, to 20, 21s that gets to the end of the season and is shocked with their decision because we're probably br brutally honest to a point where I, I even we changed this year when kids were given decisions. So they're giving them at Christmas now. 
um, because I think it. I just think that giving them the decision in in May is just not not long enough for a child to process before they then leave the environment. There has to be a transition period, and and I'll be honest, like three weeks is just ridiculous. It's not enough. So we give decisions at Christmas, unless we've been brutally honest with the player and said, listen, we really don't know at this point at Christmas, and you are on the cusp. But be very aware that there could be a decision made at the end of the season. So no child in our environment should be in shock or parents should be shocked because, again, we're honest at every point of, of the process and the journey. Yeah, you've given us a really like valuable and important insight there, Abby, I feel. You know, because the way I see it is any player coming into that environment, if they grasp that right from the outset, well, then... They're going to do their utmost to, you know, okay, I understand that the sort of reality of it is that X amount of people make it as a professional, but I'm going to do everything I can to put myself in that position. The club are going to do that also. Therefore, I should just enjoy this process as much as I can, get as much from it as I can, in, instead of worrying about whether I'm going to make it or not. I'm putting that kind of pressure on myself, you know. And and this, and honestly, I say this to, to parents and, and older players all the time, there's so much to take from it. And I know that it's heartbreaking when your dreams are snatched from you. You know, a lot of us have been there. You know, I, I mean, I can speak on behalf of a lot of people that we've, you know, you overcome setbacks and you have disappointments, but literally being told that you can't do the thing that you love for a living is is it's pretty difficult it's really up there with probably the worst things that can happen to you specifically or more so after you've been in in an academy environment for 10 years you know that's that's hard that's you've spent 60 percent of your life somewhere and somebody all of a sudden goes yeah really sorry we're just taking that away from you um nick cox said something at a presentation I was at the other week and and he and I think the stat is that they sent they spend the kids spend 20% of their childhood with us if they go from um from nines all the way to 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 finishing a scholar that's incredible 20% so and a lot of people will go yeah but you know it's not 20% is influential you can do a lot of there's a lot of influence and, and potential there to impact a child's life in 20% of their time. Um, so, uh, uh, and we as, as professionals that work in academies also need to be aware of that in going, bloody hell, you know, yeah, we do actually influence a lot of these kids' lives and we need to make sure that it's just not all about football. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's another sort of critical part of the initiative if you want to call it that around player care is the whole aftercare thing isn't it you know so people aren't just kind of the, the connection and the relationship is severed and they're just left to, to their own devices yeah. but that support yeah. is provided for them yeah aftercare is huge and listen what a lot of people don't realize is the the uptake of your aftercare depends on the relationships that you've built so you're always going to get one or two or, or even a handful of players that just go, I'll ring them up and they'll say, Abs, it's nothing to do with you. I just really need a clean break and I need to rip the Band-Aid off. I need to let go. I need to move on. And I don't want you to keep ringing me. Not a problem. I will 100% respect that decision. But if you're, if you're ringing athletes that you've worked with and every single one of them is not picking up the phone, then 
the work that you've done previously to letting those kids go is is not good enough because that's your your responsibility is to have built a relationship where there's trust and there's mutual respect that you know not necessarily that they want or need your help because not all of them do but to be able to even just answer a phone and say yeah no listen I was like I don't need any help at the minute you know but thank you for checking in and things like that that's just about building relationships and and making sure that you you're looking out for the people that that you're working with and that's really important the th- the, just a final thing from me abby um Go on, mash it it's, really, it. <laughs> it's, re- it's really interesting actually and from listening to you throughout the whole episode how many parallels i draw between what you're saying and school right and or just i guess let's call it welfare child welfare right yeah. but obviously we're talking but you're talking in the football context because it's, it's what you just said there to me is no nothing is not dissimilar to if a child leaves in year 11 to go to college or if a, a sixth form student leaves to go to university you would as a school do an aftercare process of finding out what is your final what's your destination yeah. can we help with what you're going to be doing next do you need some support to get into here take my name so I can leave so you've got a reference for if you're going to get an apprenticeship or this that and the other right and similarly a lot of what you've also said is about safeguarding and um (laughs) back in the day when we used to say it in schools every child matters in essence I it's like saying at a football club every player matters and but making sure that it's not just a buzz phrase and that they actually do matter if, yeah. if, or is yeah, that yeah. too simplistic to look at it like that? No, I, I totally agree. And and the the departments that I work the closest with are, you know, safeguarding, well, welfare, EDI officer. So again, it's about making sure that everyone knows that they're valued. And that's massive. And that's just, and like I said earlier, that's not just about player care's job. That's everyone's job. That is everyone's responsibility to make sure that play every player in our environment knows that they're valued, um, and and that's that doesn't even just come down to player care. That's just about your general culture of of the club that you're working at, because that that for me should be your number one priority before every everything else. Um, and 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 I'll be honest, the way you achieve that is by getting the right people on the bus. So, and. I'm I'm going to pull a you here, Jimmy. This is from a book by Jim Collins called Good to Great. And he he basically, some incredible research, by the way, if you ever get to read it, but he, he had a team of about 20 people, massive workforce that literally delved into, I think it was, I think they ended up final study was 12 companies that went from good to great. So they were classed as like your high performers, exceptional. Their environments were like, the best that you could get because they didn't just only create success, but they sustained it over a long period of time. So they went in and did a case study on every single one of these elite organizations. And one of the things that came out was get the right people on the bus because it doesn't matter then where you decide to take it. Everyone's on board because everyone's on the same page. If you've got people on the bus that aren't willing to, compromise or get on board with your mission you're not just going to be slowed down but you're just never going to get there because they're just going to keep pulling you in the wrong directions and 
that's really important because I've worked with some excellent staff, but I've also worked in places where other staff have probably not been on board with what people are trying to do. And it's made driving the bus not just difficult, but bloody hard. It was like driving with cement tyres. So we weren't getting to where we needed to go. So if you get the right people on the bus, you can you can take the bus anywhere. And so that's what then feeds your culture by getting the right people in there. And it'll be the same with you, Mash, working in a school. You know, for the most part, hopefully work somewhere where all the teachers are on the same page. But I guarantee that you go in some places and for the majority, there's always one or two that just slow you down because they're not the right people. Uh, I can't possibly comment, but I agree. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's huge, honestly. I always say whenever we're hiring for a new position, the first thing I say to our academy manager, Andy, he'll get sick of me, bless him. He's like, I always say to him, pick the person before the credentials, the qualifications, because I can give someone a qualification, we can get someone upskilled, but you can't change arseholes. I'm not interested. I'd rather have a hole than an arsehole. I don't I don't want anyone that's not on board with what we're doing because they honestly cause you more work than not having someone. Lovely. Um so we're gonna <laughs> that was wrap great it to finish on. Use that as the sound bite. <laughs> yeah. That's gonna be our first kind of sound bite for our trailer for the for the podcast. Um so we, we are gonna kind of wrap it up now. One one last kind of brief sort of quick fire question from me, because I want to sort of bring it back to what it takes to shape the champions of the present and future. So what would you say, Abby, are the key components um, when it comes to the journey of becoming an elite sports person? And what are the, or what's the one common trait that you see amongst the elite athletes that you work with? It's a good one. I always talk to the boys about this because they think I haven't got a clue, which, to be fair, I don't, I don't blame them for sometimes. But they'll always say, oh, you know, who's the ones that make it? And it's always the ones that you don't expect. So players that I've worked with, when I think about exceptional athletes that have gone, you know, through the academy and gone through the first team and, and, and excelled even at that level. So they haven't just gone up there, but they've also done really well. And it's the kids that buy into the programme. So that it's 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 usually the kids that they don't fall under the radar, but they never put their head above the parapet, and they never they're not kids that I need to have words with. They're not kids that I pull up for things. They're kids that do everything that's asked of them, and they don't just do what's asked of them. They do it to the best of their ability. It doesn't mean that they're exceptional at everything, but you know that that kid has given everything they've got to the task that you've asked them to do. And that doesn't matter where it is in the programme. If you've asked them to do a set in, in SNC, they've done it until they can't do it anymore. They've given it everything that they've got. If we ask them to write an assignment, they're the one that stays behind and stays an extra hour after everybody else has gone, gets it done. It's not outstanding, but I know that it's the best of their ability. So they're not necessarily the kids that are good at everything, but they're the kids that will give you the the 100% of what they've got to give in, in every aspect. They don't moan, they don't complain, they just get on with it. There's no messing around. It's And you can see them because you'll say to them, I know you don't want to do that. And they go, I know, but it's it's part of it. It's it's what I'm here to do, you know. And 
obviously we're always going to get issues with you know getting kids to buy into education and stuff I've been 16 and 17 I know that that's not where your priorities are when you're at that age but it's the kids that go I don't want to do it but I'm going to do it Uh, and that's the difference it's the kids that you don't need to motivate it's the kids that have got that inherent drive to just do the best and to just put the red down and crack on with it I think that's a brilliant message to finish on you know there's an old saying like how you do one thing is how you do everything and it sounds like those those players who who really excel sort of embody that principle I guess yeah, 100%. Um, it's it's just a, like we come back to elite habits. It's if they're asked to put the cones away, they'll be in colour order, they'll be clean and they'll be put back where they need to be put back. They're not slung in a bag, which is classes well, they've been picked up, which others will say to you. I always say, me and I, I came from a coaching background and, and when I was coaching, coach with a guy local and, and one thing we always used to say to each other is, what you touch is the line. They're the ones that make it. They're the ones that don't half half the run. They're the ones that if you ask them to run a width to width, they touch both white lines and they do it properly. And they're the ones that you want on your team. They're the ones that you want on your bus. You don't want the ones that go, oh, well, I was an inch away. Okay, well, if you're an inch, you may as well have not done it because you've not done it properly. Those are the people that that make it from what I've seen anyway I can't count you know I can't vouch for every every player that's ever made it because I haven't worked with them but from what I've seen those are the players that are successful listen Jimmy that was the actual soundbite there that's the <laughs> forget, forget the arsehole one that, that was the <laughs> yeah that one's a better one it sounded a bit more positive didn't it it's true I honestly, I mean that on a on every level. I don't. I pick my team this year that I work with, and I don't want anyone that's not not there, not you know, blood, sweat, and tears on the face. That's not doing things properly. If it's not done properly, I'm not interested. It's about standards, and it's it just it it. They're people that are cut from a different cloth. You know them. You've worked with them. You've seen them, and I guarantee. Listen, there's a lot of arseholes that have been successful. There's a lot of people that have become successful and definitely don't deserve to. They've cut corners. They've not done it properly. They've, they've deceit, they're deceitful. They've deceived people. They've probably had one over on a couple of people. But they won't maintain success because they're not, they're not driven by values and morals that are sustainable. And, and they won't because they won't continue to build relationships people will soon realise that they've got no integrity, that they're saying they're doing things, but they're not doing it. If you show people that you're doing things properly, that no one has to vouch for your character because you you show it through your actions. Um, and, and I think, like I said, that those are the people that, I mean, you want them in any environment, but if you're working in an elite environment, you've got to have people that go to those lengths and, and, and stick to those standards at all times whether it's I always look at you know when I go into the canteen and someone's not notice you there how do they behave in the canteen you know do they chuck the sugar packet in the bin and if it goes on the floor do they pick it up and put it in the bin or do they just think oh sod it I'll leave that you know and and uh, I mean those are really minute things but they mean a lot to me um and I'll always try and 
when I've interviewed people for jobs in my team, I always try and add in a little challenge that's not even when they're being interviewed. Listen to how they speak to your receptionist. Listen to how they speak to the cleaner if the cleaner says, you know, can I take your cup away from you? How do they interact with people who they might see as they shouldn't do, but they might see as lesser than them? You know, what are those interactions like? Those are huge for me. I think character is... We talk a lot about character, but I think even to the extent that we talk about it, I think it's it's underrated. I really do. What a brilliant way to to finish the podcast. Um, yeah, it's been absolutely fascinating. I loved it. Just gaining an insight into just how pivotal the role that you're carrying out is to shaping the champions present and of the future. Uh, Mash, any any final thoughts from yourself before we wrap up? Listen, like you said, Jimmy, um, having having never met Abby before and only kind of read around some of the stuff that Abby um, has done completely, like you say, the, you use the right word, fascinating. And what I always like about podcast episodes like this, where you're looking at something that I think people hear the phrase player care and they'll have their own kind of, with respect, basic idea of what that actually means and, and probably the wrong idea of what that means and probably underplay the importance of the role so it's, it's been really good to kind of you know have abby on um and kind of talk us through um i don't know if abby used this phrase but having now sat down and kind of listened to abby and spoken with her it's one of those roles that i call um the glue of organizations if you don't have somebody connecting and you know sticking things together it's too easy for things to fall through the gaps so um so yeah really re um really ple a real sorry a real pleasure to have you on um abby and uh, uh truly fascinating and that's about it for episode one of the shaping champions podcast please do subscribe to us on whatever platform you're listening to us on or watching us on and we'll see you next time.